Thank you for letting me interview you, Catherine. I'm really excited about this. Oh, my pleasure. Why did you want to do this interview? What made you say yes? Um, why would I say no to an interview? Why would I, why would I not want to share my views with someone who might be like-minded and is interested in my views? Okay. I think it would be very unusual for somebody to contact me and say, oh, I, I have kind of a project going on and you might tie into it in some good way. Do you want to talk to me? I can't imagine saying, no, I don't want to talk to you. That's lovely. Thank I mean, you. I mean, uh, being a, an author is really all about communication. Hmm. Actually, at one time in my life, an author and a public speaker, the only reason I'm not a public speaker at this point is because I, I'm, that's the travel aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, everybody says that. Yeah, oh boy, boy, it's rough being on the road yeah, in yeah. the air as a public speaker. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, people are surprised when readers um, email me, write to me, and I get back to them. It's, and I can't imagine why people would be surprised. Why would you not want to talk to one of your readers? Readers, yeah, definitely. But I think that says a lot about yourself as well and says a lot about them as well. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, to me, it just feels natural to want to share ideas with people. Wonderful. So, as you know, the interview is about business mavericks. And okay. I contacted you because I thought that anybody who... That I think the concept of pay it forward was a very maverick idea. Okay. So, how would you define a maverick? Um, I would say a maverick is just somebody who who listens to their own guidance and goes and goes the way they that actually feels correct to them because i think without realizing it we have a tendency to look at the people around us see what they're doing and kind of copy off their paper okay i don't mean as as a type of cheating i mean somehow we're just like trained as we grow up to to stay inside the norm cuz it's safer in there Okay. And I think if we just really do what we think it's our calling to do, you know, when I was um when I was a, a struggling author, when I wasn't really published and wasn't really making money as an author, but I was doing what I love to do all day long, it really struck me how unusual that made me, how few people I knew were getting up and doing what they loved okay. all day long. Okay. It's it's almost a defiant act all in itself. Definitely, definitely. To follow, to follow your bliss instead of kind of doing that compromised, quote, responsible, end quote, thing. Yeah, and I kind of think it's the same thing um, from um, what we're talking about. So why do you think you're a maverick? You've kind of answered that question. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure of the why about it. Okay. I, I don't I don't know if we necessarily know why we are the way we are. Mm -hmm. I do know that that in spite of the fact that um, I have tons of contact with people, in spite of the fact that I I was actually a public speaker as like a secondary uh, kind of an avocation, uh, I'm actually a very introverted person. Right. I'm one of those people who needs a tremendous amount of time in my own company only. Definitely. Uh, to to um, recharge and to kind of stay stay healthy. Okay. And I think that might tie into some degree. I think if I was a very extroverted person, 
and was seeking out other people as a way of energizing me, maybe I would tend to want to kind of mesh more with other people. But as it is, I'm, I'm on this kind of, I don't want to say, I don't mean solitary like I, I keep others out of it, but a tremendous amount of the time I'm doing things on my own and maybe that makes it easier to just go your own way and listen to yourself. Okay. The London School of Economics... That's kind of my theory. Okay. Excellent. The London School of Economics developed a Maverickism scale. I'm going to give you seven statements and you just okay. need to say true, false, can't decide. Okay. People tell me that I'm a maverick or words to that effect. True. I have a knack for getting things right when least expected. True. I have a way of solving problems which is different from other people. Oh, I think everything I do is different from other people, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm much more productive than other people. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to say yeah, because people are always uh, surprised at how many novels I produce in what a short period of okay. time. So, I have very unusual talents. Um, I guess I'd have to say can't decide. I mean, most people don't write books. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Is that Does that make it an unusual talent? I mean, a lot, a lot of people do write books. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a can't decide. Okay. I'm generally underestimated by people. I don't think I'm underestimated by people, no. I do things differently and better than most people when I work. Um... God, that feels, maybe this is wrong, but it, it feels um, um, arrogant to say I do things better than most You know, most people. I'm going to give this feedback back to the people who developed this once. I've okay. Interviews. It, feels like, it feels like a strange thing to say. Yeah, they're quite happy with answering the question, I do things differently. Yes, okay, yeah, I do things them. differently, but yeah. I don't want to say, yeah, I do things better than yeah. other people, that's... I, it's, I'm going to actually give them that free feedback. Okay, so. it's kind of an odd judgment. Yeah, very much so. Why do you do things differently? Because it accomplishes what I'm trying to get accomplished. Okay. I mean, it, it, it takes me where I need to be. Wonderful. And can you give me an example of what you do differently and how? Well, I write an average novel from the time I sit down to conceive it till the time I'm ready to give it to agents or editors in about five months. Wow. Which is, and I'm not hurrying. Yeah. I'm not trying to go fast. Mm -hmm. It's just how it works. I have a tendency, even though I don't work consistently mm -hmm. or every day writing on a novel, I have a very strong tendency to write 10 or, 10 or 15 pages of a novel for 10 days running and with like 100 or 150 pages mm -hmm. all in just that little space of time and then stop and take a breath and kind of develop it some more and you know whereas I hear other writers say oh yeah you have to pound out three or four pages every day and I don't do anything like that but I'm getting a lot done okay okay is what you do because um, you have to remember, I'm interviewing so many different spheres of people. That's what the diversity is. What's the, interesting? Is what you do equated to the bottom line or to something else? Oh, definitely to something else. Um, I mean, there, you know, there is a bottom line later when the book goes out there, and 
hopefully it sells and hopefully you develop a platform of books that takes care of your bills so you can keep writing. Right. But that has nothing to do with the process of creating a book. I mean, okay. you don't create a book to the bottom line. At that point, you have to be thinking about emotional resonance. Okay, so it's to do with emotional resonance. Thank you. Is any part of being a maverick to do with autonomy over your life? Oh, I think it has everything to do with it. Again, I mean, I'm one of those people, I, I don't work for anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, have a, I don't have a boss. I don't, um, I get people's feedback on what I do, but only later when it's like done and mm. out and you're not going to change it. And so right. I think I'm just definitely working to myself and not other people. Does doing things differently require certain skills, talents, mindsets? And if so, what are they? I think it requires a different mindset, yes. And I, I think it's, um, I don't know, for me it has to do with um, kind of maybe a little bit of a transcendence of what you might call my thinking mind. Okay. Our human thinking brain. I think in a way this is a, what's unusual about what I do because most people when they do their work it's very left-brained work. Mm -hmm. They're very definitely using their brain to work. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get my brain out of the way. Right. Because I have this very, there's this very right brain creative experience where there's this kind of fictional character out there trying to tell you a story and it's almost like the less you think about it, the better. Right. So okay. in a sense, you know, the, the act of meditation is, is kind of to quiet the noise in the mind and kind of access something beyond that. And I think what I do is closer to that. What? And farther from something that you learn to do with your human skills. That's a really good way of looking at it. I like the connection you're making with, you know, meditation and clearing the noise out of the way. What are the challenges to being a maverick? Um, criticism, but it depends on how much you care about criticism. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have tended to be fairly outspoken, and by that I don't necessarily mean that I um that I take my social networks that are author-oriented and just turn them into a soapbox. Mm -hmm. But I tend to express my opinions very clearly mm -hmm. online and on social networks. Um, and part of this has to do with the fact that, to me, they don't feel unrelated to what I do as an author. Okay. And like People who come in through the pay-it-forward idea and they think that the, the pay-it-forward kindness is such a terrific idea... How could they then turn around and be against helping poor people eat? Yeah. Why would they, <clears throat> why would they be shocked that I want equality for everyone? Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, they just feel so interrelated. Right, okay. okay. So, but you do hear a lot of feedback, some of which is not positive. And I think it just takes you to a point where you have to make a decision. How much do you care about what people think, especially people who you kind of know you don't agree with. Okay, okay, excellent. What's been the lowest point of your journey as a maverick? Um, I would have to say right after the Pay It Forward movie came out. It was interesting because it was it was both the highest and the lowest. Okay, so just explain both. At the same time. Right. So there was there was this one week 
where um, I was invited to the White House. Mm -hmm. I went, of course, who wouldn't? Yeah, who wouldn't? Uh, to watch a movie with Bill Clinton. It was, you know, the Pay It Forward movie. Really? I got okay. my picture in Time magazine. I got on the bestseller list. And meanwhile, the critics were just ripping the movie to shreds. People don't remember this after the fact. But when that movie first came out, the critics just ripped it to shreds. There was one critic, uh, Entertainment Weekly, who not only insulted the movie, but insulted anyone who would like the movie. And, and then when the, those people got angry, she had to address all that anger. She pretty much came back and doubled down on how stupid they were. And a lot of these bad movie reviews were trashing the book even though it was kind of pretty clear that they hadn't read the book. Right. You know, like like one of them pointed to the fact that there was glitter on the cover and in the comet and said, like, that's all you really need to know about this, you know, slush pile of source material that these people were working from. It was the first experience. Um, I, got a, I got an email from the screenwriter that said, welcome to my horrifying world of media scrutiny. Right. And it was my first experience with kind of being in that spotlight where total strangers are taking pot shots at you. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I was experiencing all these very high moments of good recognition. It was all extremely confusing. Right. And left me feeling that fame is not something I aspire to. I'm not like trying to, trying to push away notice in the media, but I definitely realized that, that the attempt to be a public figure was not one of my goals. Yeah, it's... Uh, there was something false about it. Yes, yeah. There was something about it that didn't... Even the people who were very positive with me... Right. There was something about it that didn't mesh. It wasn't quite real. Mm. Like, there were, there were a few of my friends, and now these are my best friends to this very day. Okay. There were a few of my friends who literally did not change in their approach to me at all. Mm-hmm. Then there were other friends who got very weird. Like, they, want, they wanted to call me. They wanted me to call them back. They wanted to spend time with me. It was almost like they wanted me to reassure them that they still mattered to me. Right, Okay. And if I didn't call back fast enough, like a year earlier, they would have said, oh, she's probably just writing. Yeah. But as this was going on, if I didn't call back fast enough, they said, I guess I'm not important enough for you anymore. Right. Okay. It was, it was a very strange, it was all, it was a very weird example of being thrust into a world where all your relationships change yeah. and people you've never met are making judgments about you and it. Like I say, it was it was very high and very low all at the same time. But it is definitely what comes to mind when you say, "What's the lowest point?" Okay, thank you. Because so selling books, I I love selling books and I love when people read them. But that was weird. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Because, um, slight tangent, but if I don't say it now, I'll forget to say it. Fine, fine. Kind of like you know, I mean, this idea and how it's going, and I've got people telling me you're going to end up on Oprah, you're going to end up with a bestseller, and I'm like, I don't really want the fame. I just want to do what I'm supposed to be here to do, yeah, and, and I don't exactly. do bullshit in any shape or form, and I can't stand anything pretentious. So, um, 
when I get to that stage, you may be getting a phone call from me to say, You bet. Mate, I'd be happy to share oh, my experience. No kidding. Oh, God, yeah, because it's, it's the, I would say from the whole journey, that's the angst bit, because I would rather nobody ever knew who I was. Although my... Yeah, you know, when, when you're an author, uh, you've pretty much made a decision that you want to stay behind the scenes. Yeah, I think what's happened is my coach... Um, a few actually said to me with what you're capable of doing this is when he first met me and where you might end up he goes the biggest pill that you're the bitterest pill you're going to have to swallow is the fact that you may have to do this whole thing everybody on the planet knows who you are now yeah and he goes and but that's the price you may have to pay for the good you're trying to do and, and I, you know i think it can be done well yeah um i wasn't a kid i was in my mm. 40s when it happened late 40s I think it can be done well and yet I, I I'm not saying I did a bad job on mm -hmm. it but I'm saying it it did it did take me off center I think if I had to do it again it wouldn't and I, I think there's just something to be said for standing outside yeah both criticism and adulation and kind of looking at it taking it for what it is and not really buying any of it okay so not really buying the people who say you're terrible and not really buying the people who say you're wonderful okay and just so, continuing to be what you know you are i think it can be done but i don't think it's really all that easy well like i said you may be getting a phone call yeah that's fine what aspects of your character influence your maverick approach um I think probably the fact that I'm, I think the thing that drives me day to day at this point and that I use in all my interact is the fact that I, I have a very spiritual approach to life. Okay. Um, I have a very day to day spiritual approach to life. Like for example, the, the, one of the ways that I communicate with the people who kind of follow me and friend me online is I have a daily gratitude practice, and I've, I've, I do it publicly. And I've started do. I love photography, so I've, I've done it for several years through photography. Every day I find at least one thing, if not a handful of things, that I just felt very blessed to have seen. And I share those things online so that everybody who follows me gets this kind of influx of, of what a beautiful and fascinating world it is. I think it influences everything I do. It's not just a matter of looking for things to be grateful for. I think my entire approach to life at this point is not so much to bull through it and get my way and do it my way, but to see if I can't kind of flow with the way I'm being asked to flow. We are more in line than I actually realized when I pressed the button. Good. Well, wonderful. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm sort of sitting here thinking, do I just focus on doing the interview and having a conversation? But my gut feeling, which I always listen to, is say the things that crop up as they crop up and sift out the bits for the interview. So the gratitude thing, as, as you saw in the initial email, I'm an ex-children's nurse. I worked in palliative care. So a tough day at work for me was burying a four-year-old and a 17-year-old on the same day. And oh so every morning when I step out of bed and I open the blinds, I moved to Vancouver last year, beautiful mountain views, 
And the first thing I do is I'm grateful that I can put my feet on the floor and I'm not waiting for somebody to put me in a wheelchair. I open the blinds and I'm grateful that I can see. So we're definitely on a very similar plane. And I my, think so. And my family's my mum's Hindu. So spirituality is um, the way we do things, everything. Yeah. So, okay. It's a way of life, yeah. It's and by the way, way I was life. just in Vancouver about three weeks ago. Oh, my God, if I'd known, we could have yeah. done this then. So, are you born or bred a maverick, do you think? Oh, uh, I'm going to say born. Because, um, yeah, I have to go with... I, I have to go with porn. Um, when I was a kid, I literally a kid, mm-hmm. I had some very interesting experiences that I still remember very clearly with whether or not I was going to walk the line that people seemed to be telling me to walk. Right. Okay. Like I remember a time when I decided that I would be very, uh, that I would be the good girl, the good student. Yeah. Like sit on my desk with my hands clasped like this. And then I remember very clearly in the seventh grade when I realized that it, it was a lie, it didn't work. Okay, okay. That they tell you to do that, but it it's it's wrong. It doesn't get you what they say it'll get you. Okay. And I didn't announce it to anybody, but at that point I said, okay, everything they're telling me is wrong and backwards, and I'm not doing it the way they tell me to do it anymore. Which I kind of feel like, you know, if you've, if you've got it in the seventh grade, you must have kind of been carrying it with you all yeah. along. How old are you in the seventh grade? Because obviously the education, I'm just oh, trying to picture uh, it. Oh, 12 or 13. Okay, okay. So, and but I was even younger than that when I thought, okay, I'm going to try, like, doing everything just right, just the way they tell me to, and just see if their system works. Okay. And then coming to my own conclusion, no, it doesn't. Okay. So I was doing some real experimentation with whether or not to walk the societal line, even when I was pretty young. Okay, I think you've answered the next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway in case there's anything else. So do you think your childhood in any way impacted on your being a maverick? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I I was born into kind of a tumultuous family. Okay. I had two older siblings that um, to say they didn't get along would be almost a hilarious understatement. Okay, okay. I, I was kind of born into a war zone. I tell people half kiddingly that I think they had me as a referee. Okay. <laughs> you know, like like there had to be somebody who was unaffiliated. Yeah. And th- there was there was so much going on in the house. You know, I had. I had one sibling who was very angry and tried to get attention that way with acting out anger. I had a, the, another one who was sick and hurt and trying to get attention that way. And so kind of what got left over for me was to not to not vie for attention. Okay. To kind of be very self-sufficient and kind of be the one who's doing fine over in the corner without having to get anyone to pay attention to me and uh, yeah I definitely think that influenced a life of of relying on my own counsel and going yeah because my own now what you've just described is exactly what you said initially at the beginning you know I don't have anybody to tell me how many pages I have to write I just go away and I do and I, I produce and I'm alone in the house when I'm working I'm yeah. alone in the house yeah. so who am I going to be listening to exactly except me or something more spiritual Special. yeah definitely yeah. 
How is your enthusiasm, drive and energy related to being a maverick? Um, I would say it's um, a little bit of a polarity. Okay. I would say when, when the writing is working and I'm very into it or when one of the books is doing very well and I'm following it, and also, I also have a very uh, strong kind of hobby that's almost another life of getting outdoors. I do a lot of, I do a lot of camping. I do a lot of hiking. I do kayaking. Okay, oh, we went I kayaking only last my, week. My energy is very high for those things, mm-hmm. and I think there are times when I'm not literally physically in the act of writing, and when I'm home. When I get a little bit of a mirror reaction of being kind of low energy, mm-hmm. I think I have a tendency to go back and forth between being very driven and very enthusiastic and that kind of kind of almost like a mild depression, but not not yeah. to the point where it's a problem for me, but it, it, it kind of shifts back and forth. Okay. That's a more honest answer than to just say, boy, I am gung-ho. No, a lot of the times you. I am. And I, I really appreciate your honesty because that's where I'll learn. How do you see rules, Catherine? Um, I see rules as being um, a little bit of a double-edged sword. Okay. Um, yeah. Clearly, sometimes they are helpful when people are living together. Mm-hmm. The rule that we don't steal from each other and kill each other, I'm not suggesting that we do away with that. Yeah. I think the problem comes when, well, I think we have a problem with rules that are made by people with an agenda sometimes. Right, okay. Do you always trust the people who are making the rules? Like in the U.S., the people who are making financial rules about who who gets what and who pays what, do we really trust their impartiality? Okay. Or is there something underneath that? So I think rules are, um, I think rules can be very good, and I think our job is to always question them. Okay. I think if we take rules at face value and don't question them, then they can be um, something that can turn the majority of society into a bunch of sheep okay. that are ruled by the minority. And so I think the, I think the idea is always to, uh, to question authority. Okay. Have you always taken a maverick approach to business? So in your case, the business of being an author. Or was well, there it a, is a business, yeah. yeah. Or was there a particular trigger? Well, okay. Now, if you talk about just my approach to my business, which is publishing, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, initially when I got into publishing, there was really pretty much only one way to do it. Right. Or one viable way to do it, which is to go to someone else and ask them if they will publish you, whether that's a book, a short story, or whatever it is. So I think for a while I kind of followed the rules of submission. Mm Mm-hmm. But then I think there there came, I mean, I may have been doing very much my own thing when it comes to what I write. Okay. But I think in terms of my approach to the business, I was kind of trying to follow the publisher's rules because unfortunately in that world of publishing up until about a decade ago, they made the rules and there wasn't too much you could do about it if you wanted to be published. Okay. Then there came a time when there was an enormous shake-up in publishing. Mm. I mean, an enormous shake It was yeah. a few years ago. where and, and, of course, part of it is the e-book. Part of it is 
Amazon. Part of it is the fact that there is no longer any stigma whatsoever in self-publishing. Everything is being re-examined. You know, publishers had very specific rules, like how little they would pay authors and how seldom they would pay authors, but they all worked by those same numbers. Mm -hmm. And so you couldn't just go get a better deal somewhere else. Yeah, because it was like a closed shop in some ways. Yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah. All of that kind of fell apart. And since then, uh, one of the ways I reacted to that was uh, by developing a very big independent list of titles that I publish. Mm -hmm. Now I've gone with Amazon Publishing, which is, which is a publisher. I don't want to call them a traditional publisher, but they are a publisher. Right. I'm not talking about just publishing through Amazon. I mean, they, they have titles that their imprints actually publish. Okay. So now I am kind of the quintessential what you call um, a hybrid author. Okay. I have books still in print through traditional publishers. Right. I have self-published titles. Right. And I'm also an Amazon publishing author. Okay. That puts me kind of on the cutting edge of what authors are doing these definitely. days. Definitely. Definitely. So I think when the moment came where new roots suddenly emerged... Mm. I, I definitely jumped on. Them. Yeah, you sound like, you know the bell curve, you were an early adopter. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and now, definitely. part of the reason why is because I was going through a time where I was not getting what I needed from the traditional publishers. Right. They were looking back at certain sales figures and they were more and more contracting, being more careful about what they wanted to publish, just going with the quote guaranteed successes and so I was getting frustrated trying to get them to take a chance on my books in mm. spite of my track record in yeah. publishing yeah and so when a new way came I'm like well let's try the new way mm. I'm not sure what I would have done if I had still been very sought after and very successful mm. I think I still I, when I saw this thing play out I think I still would have wanted to be part of it yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, There's a lot more control over your own income. Your, you can do your own covers. Mm. You can control your own title. You can control your own pricing. There's a lot to be said for it. Yeah, I haven't got to that stage yet. I've got a, Somebody wanted to introduce me to... One of my Mavericks wanted to introduce me to Penguin. One of my Mavericks wants to introduce me to HarperCollins Business... Um, but I haven't thought about that. I'm a firm believer in this is what I need to do at the moment. That will sort yeah. itself out. And um, if anybody on the planet will get this, you will get this. I work, I, I do what I love and I give 10% of my income to help. I want to set up my own children's charity. That's why I work my arse off. And I said to somebody, and when it comes out, if it's come out from the heart, that means I have to listen to it. And I said that... Um, I, I don't know what I'm going to do about a publisher, but um, my publisher will have to give away 10% of their profit to the children's charity as well. And if they didn't, they wouldn't be the publisher for me. Well, that pretty much takes you out of the realm of traditional New York publishing. Um, uh, not necessarily. Because they're, they're my in my yeah. experience, they are, they are not a, a highly charitable lot. They're pretty bottom line. Hmm. But you have a lot of options. There's always options. There's a lot of options, and if, if that is what you want to accomplish, you absolutely can. Yeah. Just maybe not through Penguin. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, like I said, these are just people who are publishing with these people who are thinking, oh, my God, I want to recommend you. So. Yeah. Are you always a maverick, or do you choose to be at times, Catherine? And if so, why? 
I think I always am. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've just spent so many years now, decades actually, waking up in the morning, not, not necessarily having to be around people, able to be around people if I want to be, not having any outward direction as to how I live my day or how I do my work. I think it just absolutely comes naturally to me to follow my own guidance at this point. I think it would be a very, a very um, uh, noticeable, jarring experience if I was trying to align with something other okay. than me, because I haven't done that as long as I can remember. remember. Yeah. Do you turn the maverickism dial up and down? Like in, in this situation? Yeah. I do, I do. Um, like for example, if if uh, if somebody asks me to come speak at a certain organization, mm -hmm. I think I have a natural tendency as a public speaker to um, to kind of dial or filter my behavior based more on where they are. Okay. Like yesterday, um, my dog and I went and visited a, a care home for older people. Okay. I had written. I, I wrote a book about. It's called Paw It Forward, and it's it's uh it's actually a little bit of a fundraiser for the Pay It Forward Foundation. Okay. But it's about my dog and and how and how she teaches kids about kindness. So one of the three things that she does in the book that she really did is go visit these people at Bayside Care Center, which they actually you know were they cheered her up more than we cheered them up. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, but we went back there yesterday and brought them books and, and LA ears and just all kinds of wonderful little merchandise. But, I mean, looking back on that, I can see that the, the conversation that I had there was very different from a conversation that I might have with, like, maybe some of my friends in recovery or something like that. I mean, it, you know, I was talking about things that were very user-friendly and, and um, for all for any any age group, any opinion, any, you know what I mean? There yeah. was a little bit of a more of a G-rated um, tone to my interaction. Okay. So you could call it turning up or down maverickism, um, if there is there such a word. If we not, can make it up. Coined it. Um, oh, it's been but, on the list, yeah. But I, I, to me, what it feels more like is um, in all my years of public speaking, I learned what I think is an, an essential talent of a public speaker, which is to um, to mesh your energy and your observations with where your audience is. Okay, okay. And when you do this, is it a conscious or unconscious decision? I think it's unconscious because I hadn't even thought of the thing okay. about the, the care center yesterday until you said it. And then I... I realized I could kind of see how I was, you know, okay. choosing like cute things Ella did and, uh, you know, nice things like that that okay. I knew they would enjoy hearing. Whereas if I'd been at someplace else, I might have been, you know, talking about about U.S. politics and, okay. and okay. some things I think are inhumane about about some of our policies. It just, yeah, I think I, think I do it almost without thinking. And I, I don't think it's a filter. I don't think I'm changing me. Mm. I think I'm just making choices yeah. about which aspects of me are most appropriate okay. to the situation. But I will say that there are also places to be and people to be around where you can be a hundred, where you can just express a hundred percent of what is you at all times. And Definitely. I really like those. Yeah, those are the highs. I really like that yeah. best. 
What are the advantages and disadvantages of being a maverick in business? Um, well, I think there's a place at which you can lose business. Okay. Uh, in a very short range kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, okay, I think there's an extent to which if I, if I had been more the politician in terms of what I write, mm-hmm. I mean, there were times I remember when I was writing short stories, and it took me years just to get my first short story published. Okay. I think if I had been writing much more user-friendly stories and matching them much more with the kind of things that were the most dependable reads to publish, I probably would have gotten published much sooner. Okay. So I think there is that disadvantage, that when you go your own way, you, you miss people and you lose certain people. Then again, in try- so on the other side, in terms of, of the, uh, the advantages, I think when you, um, when you become a politician mm-hmm. in what you do and how you express yourself, because you want to please everybody, you don't want to say anything that might not please somebody, there's that place at which you end up pleasing nobody genuinely. Yeah, and least of all yourself. Exactly, <laughs> because you sort of become nothing. I mean, yes. if you... If you want to be something that will offend no one, that no one will ever object to, you kind of have to be nothing. I think that, I think in the short run, you might kind of say, oh, look, I lost somebody mm-hmm. by going my own way. But I think in the long run, if you don't do that, what happens is you kind of go, oh, look, I lost me mm. and everything that was worth having. Yeah, definitely. Writing so I, know, I know people, I've, I've had uh, friends... Uh, who were authors who think since they're having so much trouble making money as an author that what they'll do is take a look at what's what's really uh, has the best sales and write that like traditionally romance has always made really strong sales even when the business wasn't in good shape and when the publishing business was down okay and inevitably they fail by not realizing even though it's a genre and it, it's a little bit formulaic, so it seems like it should be easy to write. But what they don't realize is that the people who write successful romances are people who adore that genre. Yeah, yeah. Their heart has led them to yeah. that. And if you, you're faking it and you're doing it for the money, it's going to come through. Yes. So I've never met anybody who's had success in the long run in my field doing anything other than writing what they honestly believe their own process is telling them to do, even if they hit dozens of brick walls in the short run. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I just don't think there's any other way to get at it. Okay. Has Asian experience altered your maverick approach? And if so, how have you grown? That's a good one, Asian experience. Um... Yes, I know I've changed with age and experience. I think probably the thing that's changed the most about me, and it's it's probably the change that has brought the greatest peace into my life, is to um, really step back and let everybody in the world do exactly what they want to do, even if it looks like a terrible mistake to me. Even when it comes to something as simple as, like, I used to be very troubled troubled by people who drove in such a way as to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like that person needs to learn how to drive. Well, that person may need to learn how to drive. However, it is not my job to teach them. Mm. 
And so there was a time when, when I felt very involved in what other people were doing. I, I, and I, I know I'm not the only one mm. because I've read comments on Internet articles. I'm not wow. the only person who once thought I knew what other people should be doing. Okay. But I think one thing that's changed me is I've started going my own way and letting other people go their way. Even if their way looks very off to me, mm. partly because there's nothing I can do about it and partly because who am I to say that's not their path? Yeah. And so I think, you know, I do have a lot of a lot of passion in terms of, you know, what I believe and how I think I should live and whatever. I think I've just learned more and more to apply that to myself and leave everybody else out of it. What aspects of your business are you most maverick in? Um, I would I would say the fact that uh, that I have a huge number of titles. I think it's eleven now that I literally publish myself. Okay. Even though I have a publisher now, mm-hmm. who probably would pick up these titles. Okay. But when I publish them myself, I end up with seventy percent of the royalties. Right. Instead of thirty five percent or less. Now it means that a lot of, now, and I also do this through my agencies. So fortunately, they are there to do some of the actual footwork of this. But um, yeah, I think the fact that I that my goal is to kind of maintain a list of titles over which I have complete control. I had gone on to talk about some things I have published that were entirely different that were not novels. Did that's you hear right. that? That's no, that's the bit I missed. Okay. Okay, so I have um, a book of essays called The Long Steep Path that's just entirely different. I just decided to take some essays from, like, my own outdoor experiences and and just a number of different, some some recovery experiences, just things that changed my view of life. Okay. And and published a nonfiction book of essays. Right. And then now I have a book of photographs called 365 Days of Gratitude. Right. And okay. these are just like total departures. Like I've never done this before, but I think that the people who like my work would, I mean, I think this is worth putting out there. Okay. So I've I've really kind of mixed it up. Not only how I publish things, but what I publish. Okay. Okay. What aspects of your business are you least maverick in? Gosh, I have to think about that. Well, I'm trying to, okay, my business would be the publishing of books and my social networking and... So I suppose the question is, you know, what do you do like everybody else? Well, I think that there are some things I do that everybody else does. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, they say that all authors have to keep a blog, so I keep a blog. Mm -hmm. And they say the social networking is very important for authors, so I'm on all the social networks. Now, I don't necessarily think that means that I do that just the way all authors do that. Right. But I do think that I have followed the basic tenets of how you make connections with readers. Right, okay, that makes sense. But then I hope that in doing so, I am uniquely me. Yes. That, that makes but sense. When it comes to not being maverick, I kind of lose my ability to relate. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's hard for me to think of what I'm doing just... Well, if it makes you feel any better... Like that, other people, that's a four Yeah, I think if it makes it easy... Um, one of the top answers is tax. 
Well, I do pay my taxes. Yeah, everybody does tax. Yes, I do. So uh, that's the top answer so far. Interesting. See, no, I wouldn't have thought of that. But yes, I do pay taxes on my earnings scrupulously. What, how do you balance being a maverick with home life? Well, see, I don't really because my home life is, is kind of just me. Brilliant. I mean, I live here with a cat and a dog. Up until 2012, I lived here with my mom Yeah. in her retirement. Right. Um, so I, I wasn't literally alone in the house. But if you knew my mom, you'd kind of see. She used to say we live alone together. That okay. was kind of how she... To find it, but we weren't kind of like like walking to each other's tune. But you know, the dog and the cat don't get in my way much when it comes to how I do things. So right. and I wake up every morning, and my home life is me. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, it's almost. And it's interesting because I have a, you know obviously I'm interviewing a diverse array of mavericks, so I'm getting some interesting answers in this section. Is any part of being a maverick related to the legacy you want to leave behind? Um, I think the legacy that I want to leave behind is my books, literally my books. Okay. Because that's one thing about about being an author is, I mean, you are literally putting down into record what it is that you want people to have after you're gone. Yes. I mean, if you do something else for a living, you have to think about what about you is going to last. Yeah. But I think for me, that's built in. Books will always be there. So I think I take what I want to leave as my legacy and actually make that the books. Okay. How much, if anything, of being a maverick is related to give back or paying it forward? Now you know where you came into the equation. Well, to me, it's got to be just about everything. Okay. Because, you know, one of the things that I was starting to add on that, what do you want to be your legacy, is... In addition to the books themselves, I want to, I want all to leave the impression that 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 really was me. Okay. That I didn't preach a pay it forward philosophy, but not live a pay it forward philosophy. I have to tell you this: I was asking somebody this question who happens to be a DJ, who's a maverick, and when I asked him that question, he turned around and he went, "Pay it what? I've never heard that." I said, "Pay it forward." He's never heard of yeah. forward. Yeah, and That's he's one fair. of the kindest people, right, I've met. It's probably it's just a phrase he hadn't ever had come his way. He's so, one of the few at this point. I know. So what I did was, this is how my relationship with you started then. So I turned round, and when I was sending him an email, because obviously afterwards I um, send the transcript and stuff, and I sent in the transcript... I'd scribbled a note to... I was looking for a trailer of Pay It Forward, the movie, to send to him to say, I really think you should watch this. And it was while I was looking for that that I came across the Pay It Forward Foundation and then the penny dropped that, hang on a minute, I think I might need to speak to the person who actually came up with the idea. So that... It's thanks to this DJ not knowing what Pay It Forward was that you actually became part of so the... Well, you were I, trying to teach it to him and you ended up learning all kinds of new oh, things about so it. Oh, bizarre. Seriously. Mavericks tend to be risk takers. What's the biggest risk you've taken in business to date? Oh, in business. When you said the biggest risk I've taken today, I was picturing myself like taking a knife edge trail up to Mount Katahdin. 
Um, I think I think probably jumping off the old publishing model when it began to contract. Okay. Because I think then and now, to this very day, there are authors who are very uh, kind of fearfully married to New York publishing, mm. who are um, really doing their best to drag their feet and stop the train of where publishing is going because they don't want to kind of reinvent themselves in a new publishing paradigm. Yes. It was really interesting because when I was doing my Master's in Innovation, the, what the thesis for this project was that then became the idea for the book we actually had somebody come in from the publish industry who came and talked about innovations in publishing and where things were changing and I at that time thought you know unless you get unless you get with the program this is not going to work for you yeah yeah the people who are being left behind are going to get more and more spooked and yeah I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I just know that it's times like this that it pays to be flexible and not afraid of change. Oh, yes, definitely. Now, my next question is, and so, right, so you're an author, so you write books. So how many books have you written in the past five years? Because what I usually do, because they're entrepreneurs, I'm asking people how many ventures or how many projects. But in your case, so I will ask you, how many projects have you taken in the past five years? Ah, uh, since 2009? 2000, yeah. Hang on just a second. I have to rely a little bit on... Uh, it's going to be a pretty good-sized number. Let me see. Okay. Uh, since 2009. One, two, three, four... Probably upwards of 10. Okay. And what do you consider are the characteristics of a successful project? Um, I would say um, a good reception from readers. Okay. I would say a good feedback where you hear from people where they want to share with you what they experienced reading it or what it meant to their lives. Okay. When you, when you can feel from people's feedback that you touched them. Yeah. Then it's successful. Wonderful. Now, using that definition of success, Catherine, of the 10 or 10 plus that you're suggesting you've done, say, sorry, saying you're done, what, how many of them were successful? Uh, oh, how many of them were successful? According to that definition. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would say probably, well, all of them to one degree or another. There are none of them that I didn't hear from anyone that they were touched by. Okay. But at least, I would say at least three of those were either story collections or essay collections. And I would say in that case, I got less of the feedback of how they resonated with people as I would have with a novel, simply because a lot of people don't, they would read it because I wrote it, but they didn't mesh with the short form. Okay. They liked the novel where you stay with the characters. Okay. So less so with them. Okay. So what leads to successful execution of a project for you? Um, I would say kind of, um, which I think, I know it sounds strange to say, but after 25, uh, actually 27 now, if you count two forthcoming, after 27 published and forthcoming books, I feel like about... 
six or seven novels ago I finally got this. Right. But I think it has to do with being very uh, in the flow when I'm writing. Right. And not pushing the plot or the characters in any direction when I'm... There's always a moment when you're kind of like what the actors would call up, like when you don't know your next line, you yeah, forgot yeah. your next line. There's a moment when you're kind of like, holy cow, what comes next? Okay. And when I finally learned to like wait for it instead of pushing things in one direction or another, then I think that was when I kind of tapped into that formula where it, it would more consistently resonate with people. Okay. I think you've answered the next question, but I'm going to ask you again. Okay. What did you do that makes the project successful? Um, well, I have what I put into writing it. Okay. There's that, and yeah. that's fairly obvious. Yes. But I also think that, um, I think there's something I contribute, you know, in terms of of kind of cementing readership. Okay. You know, like we were talking at the beginning in the, the first question where people are so amazed that when they email me, I email them back. Yes. And I think there are, I, obviously there are a lot of authors who don't. Yes. Who just say, I'm busy writing books. Yes. But what's the point of being busy writing books if you don't have people who are committed to reading your books? Definitely. So, you know, once upon a time you do um, author tours. Oh, they were awful. Yeah. A bunch of flying and airports and delayed flights and bookstores, and it was all because the people who read you, if they know you, if they feel like they know you, there's just a different level of commitment to right. your work. So I kind of do the same thing, but I do it literally on my own. Right. I do it on Facebook. I do it. I put my real email address on my website so people can really contact me. And I just do it on a completely human level. I, do you know, I think you do, and I'm not dissing this person, but I've met somebody, you know, somebody who I approached as a maverick, and, um, and it was kind of, oh, you have to go through my PA. And I was uh, like... Yeah. See, I don't have one. Yeah, and it was kind of like, okay. And I make a point of that on my contact page on my, on my website. I make a point of the fact that not only is it my real email and that email comes to me, but it doesn't come to anybody else but me. Yeah. No, because I think that's important to people. If they're telling you, like, like this was my own personal experience that was touched off when I read your book, I don't think they want to tell that to your PA. No. I think they want to tell it to you. Exactly. When a venture is unsuccessful for any reason, when a project is unsuccessful, what would you consider is the main reason for its failure? Um, I'm trying to think of, well... I know that there are some that uh, that have written but that have not been published, and I'm thinking about those now. And I would say, like, there were a couple that I wrote for a young adult market, okay. specifically for my young adult publisher at Knopf, that and that will probably never be published. Possibly, there might only be one. There, there could have been two, but there was one that I rewrote differently for adults. <clears throat> I think the best thing I can say is that I was trying to write them to fit into us rather than just writing them and then figuring out later what the readership is. Okay. So I think it is possible to kind of limit the work by over-directing it. Okay. Okay. As a maverick, what are you afraid of? 
um, social situations. Okay. Airports, planes. Um, I think I'm I'm kind of afraid of that situation where I don't have the time alone to recharge. Yes. And I get I get and I don't want people to think that that means I don't like people, but there's a moment if I'm too pushed too out there where I really have to get away from people. And I think I fear that moment because I don't want people to take it the wrong way. Yeah, and I think if you're a spiritual person, you really need that balance. I'm very, very, I'm a real extrovert, party animal kind of person. But when people, some like my partner, when he, he said, he did say after we'd been living together, he goes, you're very different than how I thought. And I said, in what way? He said, I never realised that you like to have so much quiet time and your own mm-hmm. time. Well, you know, there there's a lot more good work being done these days about introversion and extroversion. And one yeah, of the right. things that they're discovering is that a lot of people have very strong tendencies of both. Yes. And, you know, a really good one to watch, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's the TED Talk on the power of introverts. You know, I think I did. I think I did see that, and I read a very good book about introverts. There's a kind of an introverts movement coming up. Definitely. Where we're, we need to educate people because we're kind of tired of being confused with people who have no social skills. Yes, exactly. And hate other people. It's not. It is. It's not that. And I think there's a a fallacy that to be successful, you must be an extroverted people person, and that if you're an introvert, it's kind of like a a failing. Right. And I think there's a consciousness movement coming up. It's like, no, this is just how my brain works, and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Exactly. How important is team to you as a maverick? Well, um, the thing that comes up when you say that is... uh, at Amazon Publishing, I have a thing called the author team. Mm-hmm. And basically, they're, they're like the people who take care of you. They're your publishers. They're the people okay. who do the publicity and, and interact with you and tell you what's going on and, and you know, and get the book out there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. The other thing that comes up is, is my agency. Mm-hmm. I have a wonderful agent with Andrea Brown Literary Agency, Laura Rennert. And then uh, there's another wonderful woman named Laura Perkins who also works with us on our stuff, and she's their digital manager. Mm-hmm. And then Laura has a couple of assistants, and then there's, of course, the agency behind it. And even with the independent ones, that team has been very important. So I think even though I work alone, yeah, when it comes time to actually getting the work out there, then I think these agents and the publishing teams are indispensable. Okay. Even for me with self-publishing, Wonderful. I the team of the agency. Does being a maverick affect your approach to leadership? Um, no, that's a good question because I don't think I, don't think I overtly lead. I think uh, because lead who? I'm kind of here by myself, you know? Yeah, I get that. I'm just... I mean, I, but I think that I, I put out who I am mm. in a very realistic way. Okay. I mean, warts and all, I put out on social networks, like, what my life really is and who I am. And I think that maybe there's a place where people accept that as leadership, even if I didn't really mean it to be. Okay. 
Yeah, because I was thinking... But it's just me. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, do I ask the team question because Catherine works on her own? Do I ask the leadership question? But, yeah, I, I go back to... I used to stand in a classroom and teach leadership and management and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I used to say to people, people would say, I'm not a leader. I said, you got up this morning, got dressed, had a, sh- had a shower, got dressed and turned up for this classroom. You're leading in your own life, aren't you? In your own way, yeah. In your own way. So. I think my answer to all of those questions has to be um, authenticity as a yep. person. I think my approach to all of this is to be authentic, authentic. to be oh. who I really am, not put out this image of what I think you want me to be, be or yeah. the person you want to see or don't want to see. And the more I do that, interestingly, against expectations, the more people seem to respect me for Actually, showing my failings, it- my... Actually, my fears. Actually, Catherine, it's not against expectations. I used to teach authentic leadership. Uh, well, it's not against your expectations. But so <laughs> so in the world, there is this whole theory about authentic leadership and how it, how it impacts upon people wanting to be your followers. Yeah. And the well, yeah, okay. So if, if I lead, that's how I lead. I okay, yeah. I would say that myself. that rings true. Simply human. And the whole human, not just the parts I think people want to see. see. And then if someone takes something from that, then yeah, so much the better. Excellent. How and where did you get your permission to be a maverick? I don't think I got permission. I don't think I got permission. Okay. I, I really, I still remember that day in the seventh grade. Yeah. When I was minding my own business and a teacher made an example of, of me for something I had not done. Right. She said I was about to talk. I leaned over to look at something on the board, and, and she had been having trouble with the class, So yeah. and she said I was about to talk. She thought I was leaning over to say something to the person next right. to me. Right, okay. So she proceeded to humiliate me and make an example of me in front of the class. She didn't give me permission to say, you know, everything, everything you're trying to get me to do is wrong and backwards, and yeah. I'm not doing it. I don't think I needed anybody's permission at that point. So, I just saw through the lie. Okay. And so did you give yourself permission? I must. I guess I must have. Okay. I guess I must have because, I mean, there was nobody around saying, oh, by the way, you can just throw aside the trappings of what yeah, everybody true. in society wants you to be. I was, uh, I was kind of stubborn and a little bit of a rebel, and I just thought, you know, if this doesn't work, I'm not. You can't make me do it. I didn't tell anybody right. that I wasn't going to do it anymore. Okay. I just knew I wasn't going to do it anymore. I have no doubt whatsoever that you were stubborn and a rebel because that is why I am sitting here interviewing you now. There you go. Is being a maverick related to creativity, and if so, how? Um, I think it must be. But I will be the first to admit to you that I do not particularly understand creativity. Okay. And I think probably anybody who says they do is perhaps, well, I don't want to characterize them, but I don't think anybody else has a line on it either. Right. I think the thing you learn about creativity is to um, be there when it calls. Okay. Not so much what it is or how to make it work, but just, I mean, I don't, I can't really explain electricity to you either, and I can't see it. Okay. But I know I know to flip the switch when I want it to come on. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, and I'm not saying that creativity can be worked like a switch. I'm just saying there are things you know about it and then uh, things you don't. But I do think that that not being a maverick, that sort of towing a, a line, um, is kind of anti-creativity. Okay. I think to me that, that when people write and it kind of misses, mm-hmm. people are writing something and it, it's not, misses me anyway. Yeah. I get the very distinct impression that it was written somewhere between their left and right ear. Right, okay. That they really just kind of constructed this in their brain. And I think that's what we're encouraged to do. Right. We're encouraged to just take control of the situation and bring our human resources to it. And so I think that there's a place to really dip into creativity. I think you have to get outside what they tell us to do. Okay, okay. And how is... A maverick being a maverick related to innovation, then. Well, I think it's uh, they're almost synonymous, aren't they? Yes, they are. Because innovation has to be something that that isn't what everybody's been doing all along. So it's pretty hard to tell the party line while doing something that nobody's ever thought to try. Exactly. Mavericks tend to be learners. What are you a student of, Catherine? Life and human nature. Okay. I am constantly a student of human nature. I am fascinated by us. I'm particularly fascinated by the levels at which we are not authentic. Yeah. I'm fascinated by why when a person is angry, they will say, I'm not angry. Or when a person is hurt, they'll say they're not hurt. Yeah. I'm fascinated by why when we're bothered by something, we don't fix it. Like the people who say, oh, I wish we lived in a kinder world, but they don't do anything kinder that day. Oh, God, yes. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I'm fascinated by it. The reason yeah. I'm not criticizing is because if everybody became totally honest and authentic, I'd have to go into a new line of work. <laughs> yes. Because there's no such thing as an interesting novel about people being honest and authentic. True, true. This is where I find my novels in these intricacies of human nature. Okay. So I never stop studying that. I'm endlessly fascinated by the way we in, interact with the world. And I think what interests me the most about human nature mm-hmm. is the way um, we try to feel safe and secure and uh, like nothing could happen, like nothing could go wrong yeah. in a world where everybody knows anything could happen and something exactly. could go wrong. Exactly. The things that we go through to try to convince ourselves, oh, no, nothing bad can happen to me or my loved ones, mm. is endlessly fascinating. Okay. Yeah I, yeah, I get that. Do you draw on other mavericks in any way? Um, I'm trying to think of examples of where I draw on others. Mm. I think, well, I think I'm... Uh, I think I'm interested in what other mavericks have to say. Okay. Like you were talking about that TED Talk, and I watch people who do those interesting TED Talks because I'm fascinated by their new ideas and yeah. new ways of looking at things. Okay. Is so, the... personally, I guess I do. Okay. Is there anyone who's a maverick that inspires you? Um. I would say pretty much anybody, and I and I don't mean to be vague in general, no, but no, I also want to be clear about the fact that I don't, um, I don't necessarily limit my inspiration to people you would have heard of, like right. public figures and such. I think I'm really inspired by anyone who is not afraid to be vulnerable. Yes. 
openly publicly vulnerable, or who is afraid to, but who does anyway. Mm. And yeah, I find it inspiring when someone is willing to put themselves out there and and not be guarded. Mm. And it's like what you were saying about you know famous people who I wouldn't know and stuff. Um, I started off this project and I was just interviewing. It didn't. It in my mind, it doesn't matter to me whether it's somebody who's unknown or known. It doesn't matter to me whether they've got five bucks in their pocket or five hundred million bucks in their account. I'm more interested in how they tick. What? Yeah. Hence the questions. Exactly. What I have come. To, what I am savvy enough to know. Is if I want to take this further, I needed to get some big names. I was so so just so at the moment I am interviewing some pretty big names. I'm I've just landed the woman who came up with comic relief in the UK. So I'm getting some pretty big names. There's yourself. Everybody, most people I know know your book and your movie. Well, I can actually think of one person who is a public figure who inspires me okay. with, uh, with with being real and being vulnerable, and that's Laverne Cox. The actress, are you familiar? Uh, the transgender actress from from uh, Orange is the New Black. Okay. She She's the first transgender actress to ever uh, win a, be nominated, excuse me, be nominated for an Emmy. She was on the cover of Time magazine. Right. And uh, and it's a very uh, it's a very brave uh, thing to put out into the world to put yourself out into the world as the first person. Yeah, you know, she's the first openly transgender actress to to be seen at this level. Yeah, and as you can imagine, she gets a lot of support, but Mm. also a lot of horror. Yes, Uh, but she's very I don't know she's she feels very real to me it feels like what she's showing us is really yeah real is her and uh she's somebody i really respect because she shows courage every day definitely and she's a fantastic actress um i've not seen that but what um so as i was saying i'm trying to include people that people would know because obviously that's Affects the profitability. Sure. If I went yeah. to, if I interviewed a hundred people that nobody knew, well, sure, you can put in a few people who everybody hasn't heard of. No, I've put lots Lover of Cox people. Having just been on the cover of Time magazine, I think, would be a good bet. I have put in a lot of people, Catherine, who nobody's ever heard of. Um, I think there are t- there there are. I would say most people have not heard of me. I would say. Your average person, if you tie me in to pay a forward to book and movie, then says, "Oh yes, I know who that is." Yes, that's yeah. Otherwise, as as my own name, in a way, that's kind of a little bit what I like about being an author is you don't have to really be a public figure. Yeah, and I I would be dis I would I wouldn't be dishonest to say, well, actually, I didn't know I haven't read your website, so I don't know anything about that. This was the way I connected with you. Mm -hmm. Although what I will tell you is that I don't keep a lot of movies, and that movie I have always had my own copy in there. House. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. Well, definitely. I will say that um, that the uh, I have a novel that was that I self published here in the U.S. in I think 2010, um, and then Amazon Publishing brought it out last year, and it's called um, When I Found You, and I've sold more copies of that than I sold to pay it forward. So we just need to get you a film gig for that, don't we? <laughs> well, uh, please. Uh, the last thing I want is to be reminded that the only way your book can truly be known yeah, yeah. in the United States is to into a movie. That, 
But that's a whole very discouraging. That's, that's a whole it different debate. It's very discouraging. Yeah. What do you have to suffer or sacrifice because you're a maverick? Um, I don't know that I have to sacrifice anything that is terribly important to me. Mm-hmm. I think you sacrifice some pats on the head of approval. Okay. And I think if you need that, that can be a big sacrifice. But I, that doesn't feel all that real to me, and so I don't particularly miss it. Brilliant. What motivates you as a maverick? You've said about the people. You've said about people going in a different direction, trying something new, people expressing their vulnerability. Is there anything else that you want to add? I think it's just the way I want to feel. It's the experience that I want to have with life. And when I'm going in the right direction and being true to myself, then I feel the way I want to feel. Okay. And on a day-to-day basis, my life feels the way I want it to be. There isn't that existential angst that people get when they think or, or not think, but try not to think there has to be more to life than this. Okay. I think I think I feel like I am here doing what I'm supposed to be here doing. And I think that's a feeling I would not want to give up. Yes, and that would correlate with everything you said about being spiritual. Yes. Is any part of being a maverick related to finding out who you are and what you're capable of? Yeah, I think everything. Okay. I think that's kind of, I think to me that's kind of what being a maverick is. Okay. Is holding as your highest goal self-discovery. Yes. Rather than rather than this is what I think I should be, therefore I will fit myself into this box. Exactly. Do you like being a maverick? Yes. Is being a maverick important or a responsibility in any way? Uh, it's important. To me, it's important. I don't know that it's my responsibility. Mm. I think I have a responsibility to others to be the best me that I can. Yes. But I don't know that I can tell anybody else what is their responsibility to be. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the things I like about life and find so fascinating about it is there's a lot of free will built into the system definitely if you want to be disingenuous nobody can really stop you mm-hmm. if you want to be false you get to play that all the way to the end and see where it takes you mm-hmm. so i i mean i think i think it's my responsibility but i also think that people i really meant what i said before i i think everybody gets to do what they want i am no longer the arbiter of what other people ought to be doing definitely uh, yeah that makes sense now we've nearly finished the interview on a scale of one to ten how maverick are you um eight and a half okay and what advice would you give to someone, Catherine, who feels they're a maverick so that they can be the best possible maverick they could be? Um, I, and, well, it's hard advice to follow, but I think I would say um, look more closely at the part of you that's afraid of being criticized. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes it. To this very day, I don't like being publicly criticized. No. But I think you have to look at that and say... You know, in what way is this damaging me, really? I think we, I think that we have some very um, ancient knee-jerk reactions to things. Like, I think there was a time when we lived very tribally. Yeah. We lived in little tribal communities. And to be ostracized from the community would really kind of equal death. 
And so I think we have this deadly fear that people are going to disapprove of us. Yes. And I don't really think that it has much common application to our lives today. So I think I would say to people, just look more closely at that situation. Why, why do you avoid criticism so staunchly? And is there any way that you can just not like it, but also not go to any lengths to avoid it? Okay. Very because sound it's very advice. limiting. Yeah, and it's really sound advice because that's what happens to Mavericks most of the time. Yeah, they get beaten down by what other people think, sure. Yeah. How do you promote and serve other people to be Mavericks? Um, I would say as much as possible just by example. Okay. Again, I don't, I don't go around telling anybody what to be. Right. But but I just I am what I am pretty pretty publicly yeah. every day, and then if people can take inspiration from that or not, depending on where they're coming from. So my next question was, how do you promote and serve yourself? But I think maybe the answer was in what you just said. Yeah, just I think so too. I think you just yeah. can't miss in terms of your own experience. If you are if you are just who you are, I just think you can't miss for you. No. For other people, you're going to hit with some and miss with others. Oh, and that's the other thing I was going to say about advice to people mm-hmm. is, you know, there was a time, there was a time in my life definitely when I felt that pull of wanting everybody to like me right. and approve of me. And I felt a very definite shift when I realized that there is limited value being liked by people you don't like <laughs> or being approved of by people whose lives you don't admire. Yeah. And so I went from, from wanting to be liked and respected by everybody to wanting to be liked and respected by people I like and respect. Right. And I would very much suggest that shift to anyone. Wonderful. Because Wonderful. there's a level at which if I'm pleasing an unscrupulous person, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, and also, I, you know, adding to that, I think what one of the approaches I take is... And sometimes it's probably a tough-skinned way because I've had a whole life of never fitting in and thinking differently and being... I mean, how I ended up here doing this and becoming the voice, uh, almost like the orator for people who think differently, is now like, oh, my God, the whole... Every shit thing that happened in my life was to bring me here. That's how you know you're a writer. (laughs) It's one of the very worst things you've gone through your whole life become your best friend. Exactly. And I I can tell you now, actually, I was about seven, eight interviews in, and I'm an absolute tomboy. I don't do girly-girly. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, and you very rarely see me have tears. And I stood in the middle of this apartment, and I had these tears running down my eyes. And my partner was really concerned. He's a wonderful man. Think Mr. Darcy. That's who I'm with. And he turned round and he said, are you okay? And I went, I just realised I'm not the only one. And I said, the only way I can explain it is that, you know that closing scene in E.T. when the family come down to get him and he just goes home? Yeah. Well, I just felt I'd come home. Oh, and wow. That moment, I knew why I was doing what I was doing. And to be quite honest, Catherine, then the whole spiritual journey took over. Half the time, I, I could pinch myself. I mean, it took me less than 10 minutes to get you on lockdown. And I'm sitting here going, I think I just nailed the woman who wrote 
pay it forward, you know. It's not really that hard to do. And then, and then I saw this email about this girl who'd done this amazing work with Branson and da-da-da-da-da. I picked up the phone, rang Australia, and the woman who answered the phone said she's in a meeting. Um, I said, can I tell you what I'm trying to do? So I told her, she goes, I think you need to email James. So I email oh. her, thinking that maybe in three weeks she might email me back and say, look, I'm too busy. Next morning she emails me and says, I'm in. Wow. And it's kind of like I can't even stop the momentum. Why would you want to? And I, I, I have no desire to. So um, the type of people I'm interviewing, it's kind of like, really? These are like people who have been like heroes of mine mm. so yeah it's well, really one cool. of the real reasons though that they're heroes of yours is they're not the kind of person that would say no i'm just too busy yeah and i do have people that say no i'm not too busy however that's fine because I, i'm a girl who's full of perseverance so sometimes that pays off and sometimes they're not the person who may, you know, if they don't fit, they don't fit, you know, if yeah. something else is, if something else bigger than me is working this, then there'll be a reason they're not in, in part of the process. And that's how I kind of look at it. And I just, I, I kind of see myself as just the messenger in a roundabout. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And that's all, you know, I, there's something bigger. I mean, you said what you're like, so I can say this to you. I can't say this to everybody. But you will get the fact that, you know, something's moving through me. I'm just the messenger. I just have to do what I have to do. Yeah, you just get out of the way of it. I just get out of the way of it. So, two more questions. What's your biggest ambition right now, Catherine? Um... My biggest ambition, I don't feel like I have anything left unachieved. And by that, I don't mean there's nothing more I want to do. Mm-hmm. I just feel like all the things that I had set my sights on, I'm doing. Good for you, girlfriend. So I, I, don't, I, just, I don't feel like there's much left on the bucket list. I mean, there's some places I still want to go. Yeah. And I still want to meet an Atlantic puffin face-to-face. And right. You know, I'd like to hike somewhere where you, where I look up and, and see the snow peaks of the Himalayas. But I um, I don't feel like I have big goals left unachieved. Do you know, my first blog post I ever wrote was called No Regrets, a.k.a. How to Live Your Life Awesome. And it was all about how people live this false life and they die with all these regrets. And it's very humbling and I'm privileged and honoured to hear you say to me, I think I've ticked off most of the things on my bucket list, because I can tell you how many human beings will never be able to say that sentence. Yeah, I guess. Like yeah. I say, when, even when I was a struggling author, I was just noticing how few people yeah. lived doing what they love. It's a shame. Exactly. If you could have a superhero power, Catherine, what would it be? Oh, I think probably being able to hear what people are really thinking. Oh, that would be interesting. I think I would I would love to be able to look into somebody and like just really know what was going on in them right. instead of it might be a mistake, but I don't know, I find it very interesting. Okay. And what do you do for fun? I know you like the camping. You're a yeah. maverick. You like so I get outdoors. I get outdoors for fun. Okay. That's that that is my absolute passion. Yeah. I love to hike. I love to hike up to the top of things that are tall. Yes. I like to paddle. My dog paddles in my little kayak with me. Well, she doesn't paddle. That's that's 
um, it was an unfortunate yeah. phrasing. She sits there on my paddle. But okay. She goes along with me, and I love to go to new places so long as I'm not going there on a plane. Okay. As long as I'm going there in my little camper. Fair enough. Final question from the interview. What would you like to have been asked that I haven't asked you? Um, it was pretty complete. Um, I guess the only thing would be I always like in an interview to, and we touched on it briefly. You asked me how many books I've written, and we mm. talked about how many I've written in the past five years. Mm. But I think I always like to address in an interview how huge a body of work there actually is compared to just pay it forward. Right, okay. I think pay it forward is, is pay it forward is, is very uh, double-edged. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the person who has a dozen kids, but one of them is famous. Yeah. And people are like, oh, you must be so proud of your son. And you want to say, well, actually, I'm proud of all my sons and daughters. Exactly, exactly. Even if you haven't heard of them. So um, I think I always like questions that kind of go to the body of work. Yeah. Because I'm very proud of my whole body of work, not just pay it forward. And it's very disproportionate. And now part of it is because it was a movie, but also part of it is because it's kind of like a, it's an idea that sparked people in a way that, that just the other novels don't do. Yeah, and I think, it, I mean, when I first started this, doing this interview, I was like thinking, actually, I thought, because obviously what I do is I don't read loads of stuff about people because that detracts from what I might learn from them. Um, or how they've been portrayed. So it was interesting because um, I'm really, really, I love the way it's gone because I'm really excited about the way how I, mentally I was thinking I'm going to interview the author of Pay It Forward, but what I've realised is more than that, I've interviewed a woman who's a really, really brave maverick. And it just happened to be that the the key to getting into that entry happened to be the pay it forward was book. that one book yeah, yeah. and it, I got much more out of it than I was actually starting with. Well, so, that's a nice compliment. Thank, thank you. you so much, um, Catherine. I never say anything I don't mean ever. <laughs>